What's going on, everyone? Happy Tuesday. Welcome into another edition of Final Whistle. As always, I'm your host, Blaine Spencer. I have a returning guest with me today. I have Steve Hegel. He covers college basketball, college football, college lacrosse. If you just want to go check out his stuff, just college football, just collegebasketball.com, et cetera, et cetera. Steve, thanks for coming on again to come on Final Whistle and chat it up with me. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. And if I know last week we tried something different, so we did two interviews along with doing content there. So please tune in, check those out. We'll see how those turn out. And we're going to go back to a little bit of traditional setup this week with your Tuesday and Friday episodes with a couple interviews in between. So there was some breaking news that happened this past weekend. The college basketball committee released their top 16 seeds for the NCAA tournament. I'm going to uh Rally them off real quick. We have Gonzaga as the overall number one, which was pretty presumptuous in itself. Baylor, two. Michigan, three. And Ohio State, four on the one line. Then we have on the two line, Illinois, Villanova, Alabama, Houston. Then Virginia, West Virginia, Tennessee, Oklahoma on the three line. Then for the four line, Iowa, Texas Tech, Texas, and Missouri. Steve, I want to get your overall take with the committee dropped this weekend. Did they get the top 16 teams correct? I think they got them very close to being correct, but they were one off in my opinion. I think Florida State definitely deserved to be in that top 16. Probably at this point, it would have been released on Saturday. So before they beat Virginia last night, would have said them being on the four line. Now I think they could have even moved up to the three line uh, as of today if the if it was released today. But I definitely think Florida State belongs in that top 16 of teams. I know they've had a couple COVID pauses, so they've had less games to play than some other teams. But I definitely think they deserve to be in the top 16. Regardless. Yeah, I actually agree. That was the team I was going to add in. I don't think they were took into account that they were going to smack Virginia around last <laughs> night, though, either. Um, so who would the team that you, who would you kick out? Would it be Missouri, Texas or Texas Tech out of the, those three? I would say probably Missouri. Um, I think they're a solid team. I, I don't think they're top four seed worthy in the NCAA tournament, uh, looking at their body of work and who they've beaten this for, so far this season. Uh, we'll see how they continue to play down the stretch uh, in the SEC and see how they do in, in the SEC tournament. Um, but, yeah, as of right now, I would, I would, Missouri would be the team I would kick out. Yeah, I think that would be – I would be in perfectly agree with that one, especially with their limping in right now, especially, too. They're coming – they've lost, I think, two out of their last three. Lost to Arkansas this past weekend in overtime. That was before the committee released their rankings, of course. But uh, I think Missouri is definitely the team that's limping in and Florida State's the team that's surging. So I think I, I, I agree in that, that they need to be the ones dropped out. So out of this weekend, there were a lot of big games that happened. What was the game that you really were like locked in on and that really you were taken away by? Um, I'd have to say probably the Gonzaga game against San Francisco just because I thought it would be a much – closer game <laughs> uh, than it turned out to be um, probably not a traditionalist pick for game of the week, but I, I thought it would be a much better game. Of course you have no uh, home crowd advantage for San Francisco playing Gonzaga like they normally would have had, but um, they got Gonzaga uh, beat them up pretty good. So I, I was very surprised at how, how badly Gonzaga beat them. Yeah. So. And I think people really forget that San Francisco beat Virginia at the beginning of the year. Yeah, correct. I, I think they people forget that they they beat a team that's in the top ten. Well, in the currently in the top ten, Virginia will probably drop out after this week. But still, I, San Francisco, the Dons, they're a, they're not they're an average team, but they they showcase the ability to be very competitive in the WCC. 
and Gonzaga beating them by 39 was definitely an eye-opener. But for me, it's got to be Oklahoma going on the road in Morgantown, somehow pulling out that victory, 91-90 to over West Virginia. Austin Reeves, he's been an absolute star in the making this year for Oklahoma. I Personally, I think this is Lon Kruger's best coaching job that he's been able to pull off this season. Being able to beat West Virginia, they've beaten Texas Tech, they've beaten Kansas, they've beaten Texas. Like Alabama, too. They beat Alabama in the SEC Big 12 Challenge. Just what he's been able to do. And they beat Alabama with Reeves was out because of COVID, all that other things that were happening. I think Oklahoma has been really the team that surprised me the most. I don't think they're really getting enough credit that people are really giving them. They're still lingering around the top 10. I think they're a top six team at the moment, in my opinion. What do you think about the Sooners? Yeah, they've had a really impressive season. Um, I never thought I, – I thought going into that Alabama game, they would – you know, it, and when they had, were short a few players, I figured, ah, they'll probably lose this game, and they 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 easily – they won that game. Um, you know, the big win against West Virginia in Morgantown. I know, albeit there's no crowd there like there normally would be, but still, that's still a huge win on the road against the top, you know, 16 team that is in the – you know, is one of the seeded teams that the committee picked as of Saturday. Um We'll see. I mean, see how they can do down the stretch run the Big 12. It's a brutal conference. There's very few gimmies this year. I know Kansas is, is slightly down this year. Um, of course, Iowa State's having a bad year, and Kansas State not as well either. But most of the rest of the teams in the conference are going to be hard teams to beat on a night-in, night night-out basis, you know. Yeah, so, and we'll they have Texas this week, too, on Wednesday. I think Wednesday oh, yeah. night they've got Texas. They It's at home, but, you know, limited fans in Oklahoma or no fans, depending on the COVID situation there. What do, what do you expect to see in that matchup? What is going to be the biggest takeaway that you're going to, that you would look forward to in that game? Um, I think it probably would be for that game, particularly it would have to be to see how well Texas's guards can play. Um, I, I saw Texas play a couple of times this year and it seems like their guard play has really determined how well they've done in, in games, you know, Early in the season, like I said, they beat. I saw them play well in that Maui Invitational and beat North Carolina, who's not having as great of a season as would they, we would have thought um, in the Maui Invitational final. And they've they've done very well in the Big Twelve. I mean, much better than even I thought they would do. So um, I think the guards' play is going to come determine the, determine the outcome of that game come Wednesday. So in Oklahoma, yeah. against Oklahoma. Yeah, I agree there uh, with wholeheartedly. Texas has been very inconsistent with their guard play, which I think. They may still end up winning the game, but it keeps those teams that are that they're substantially better than like a Kansas State and keeps them in games more often than not, which has been, I think, Texas's Achilles heel. And I think for Oklahoma, it's going to really it's been their whole season. It's been a by committee approach. You're, you, they don't know who it's going to be every night. I mean, you can assume Reeves will get his 15 to 18, but then there's always that second score that you don't really expect. So it's going to be interesting to see who's going to be that second guy for Oklahoma. That's always been the takeaway people, for me. People forget too, Brady Manick, who has been around, seems like forever because he played back when Trey Young. Yeah, <laughs> they right. were several years ago. It feels like he's been on there a lifetime, but he's uh, he's had some very good games this season and 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 continues to be the X factor for for the Sooners as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I saw that you were meant talking about Loyal Chicago and Drake, the two MVC teams. They played a back to back this weekend. It was a split over at Drake for both games. Uh, what do you, what are your take on the Missouri Valley conference as well as the non power fives as a whole? Is there any team that could really make a run 
And will there be will Drake and Loyola both get in, or will do you think it's only going to be one team get that getting that bid? I think they'll both get in. Um, I think that Drake win on Sunday. If for Loyola Chicago blew them out on Saturday, really helped their cause. Um, I think either whoever win whoever wins the Missouri Valley Conference tournament uh, will get in, of course, as automatic bid. And the other team, I think, will get in as well, as long as they don't slip up. Maybe like in the first round of the tournament, at least they got. If the other team doesn't win the tournament, gets to the semifinals. Uh, the conference in the whole is very impressive. I mean, you saw last year um, Evansville fell apart, but they beat Kentucky with Walter McCarty after um, the team fell apart after that, and Walter McCarty got, was let go as coach. But I mean, you see how well that conference is year in and year out. And usually, the team that makes it to the tournament, if if only one makes it, which is usually the case, does some damage in the tournament. And usually, that twelve five six eleven type game. So, I mean, I, I wouldn't want to be a team to plays either of those teams come come tournament time uh, if they both do. Um, make it to the NCAA tournament. And I think Loyola Chicago has got that experience factor. Cam Crutwig's in the middle. I mean, he played on that final four team. Um, Porter Mosier has the experience as well as the head coach taking that team to the final four. So, and Drake, look how they've, how well they've done this year. I think, I think Saturday was more an, the first game was more an aberration. They got beat really badly, of course, but as you saw Sunday, those teams are pretty evenly matched. And I wouldn't be surprised if that's the uh, tournament championship game and they play a third time in a couple weeks. Yeah, without a doubt. I think Saturday was more of a wake up call to them hey, like we can't really like coast through what we've been doing really and be able to contend with these guys. Like we got to actually play both ends how we've been playing all year. I think Loyola kind of gave them a little reminder, hey, we're kind of still the top dogs here, whether you like it or not. We may not be as – and statistically, these guys are better than what this Final Four team was uh, going going into the tournament, which is really surprising for me. And for me personally, to make it easier, I think Drake will have to win the MVC. It'll make that easier because I think Loyal is more of a lock than Drake is at the moment. I agree. I agree. So I think for both teams to to make it easier for both teams to get in, Drake would have to win the tournament and then Loyal would get that. But I agree. They're going to be a tough – they'll probably both be 12 or 13 seeds at 5, 12, 4, 13 matchup that you always get the upsets. Don't be surprised if those two are definitely the ones that are going to be moving on in that first-round game. As for you asked me about an outsider team, I don't have a mid-major on the top of my head, but a team that's really impressed me this year that's always seemed like they've they've had a lot of talent but never put it all together is USC. And this seems like the finally the year they're putting it all together. Um, they're doing really well in the Pac-12 um, and with the record overall. I think this may be finally the year that the team has put it all together and they can make a deep run in the NCAA tournament. I mean, we'll see. It all depends on, of course, their seeding when they get into the tournament and who they're matched up against. But they have a lot of talent on that team. They have every season. I think this is finally the year. It looks like everything is going to click for them. Yeah, 17-3 and three right now, the Trojans. I mean, they did play a, a bunch of gimmies to start the year, so I think that's what really the conference has really been hindered by, especially with their seat rankings with them. I think they're only around 18 or 19 in the polls right now, so with only three losses, which is saying something. But I think the Tro- – I agree. The Trojans definitely have uh, the capability this year to be a surprise team. I do, I do, I do like that one a lot. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do come tournament time because I think they got a, a, a deep run in them if they can put it all together like they have been doing. Yeah, and uh, one team that I think has finally figured it out is Creighton, especially after what they did to Villanova this past weekend, beating them handily by 15, 16 points. It was in Omaha, which always helps. Creighton's got a lethal home record. But still, I think Zagorowski's finally taken on the – the criticism and being the first team All-American, the biggest preseason player of the year, I think that's finally accumulated to him to step up. 
Mitch Ballack can pull up from 35 all over the court, which is kind of scary. And it's, but the, I think what's more scary about Ballack is that he's more of a passer before he actually shoots the ball and he shoots over 50% from the three point line on occasions in most games. So what do you think of the blue Jays and the big East conference as a whole? Um, I think the blue Jays have an excellent chance of uh, making a deep run in the tournament as well. The conference I think is, is kind of like, I think split into like, you got the top tier and then the second tier. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's, that's kind of how the conference hasn't been that way as much in the past, but this year, I think it definitely is that way. I think you got Villanova on the top tier line, um, Creighton on the top tier line. I think St. John's is on the top tier line. Uh, they saw them beat Villanova several weeks ago. Um, and then you have some of the, the other teams like, like the Georgetowns are down, down below in the second tier line. I mean, they've been hit hard by transfers and players getting uh, kicked off the team like that happened last season. So they've kind of just, they've almost used this year as a rebuilding year, just to use them as an example. But I definitely think, you know, the Big East can get four or five bids. Um, we'll see what happens come come the middle of March when the selection committee makes the decisions. Yeah, I think right now it's uh, Xavier. Uh, I'm trying to go off the top of my head. Xavier, UConn's on the bubble. Seton Hall's on the bubble. And then I think you have uh, you have Creighton and Villanova that are locks. And then Xavier's on the bubble right there, too. You have then you have like two or three teams that are like in the back of the pack. It'll be interesting to see how many they get in, especially as I'm a Seton Hall guy. So I, I had to ask the question. I got, I was, I'm always intrigued to see what everyone thinks about Seton Hall, but I think Bryce Aiken being injured didn't play this past weekend. And we, we played awful and we somehow still beat Marquette. So I'll take it at this point. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I haven't seen Seton Hall play that much this year. Um, I still, that's one of the teams that there's like a handful of teams. Like I really feel bad for last year. Cause I think last year was a year. They oh, could have really, we could have done a lot of damage talent they had on that team. And they were seeming like they were coming together and playing well at the right time, right at the end of the season going into the big East tournament. So, uh, you know, with miles Powell and the rest of the players they had on that team. So I, it just, it, that one, that's one of those. And teams now Powell's feel- killing the G league by taking it by storm right now. Yeah. That's oh. one of those teams before after last season, but as for the tournament, I think they're, I think they're like right now, they're just, they're on the bubble. They're kind of 50, 50. It's all going to depend on how they play down the stretch in the last yeah, couple of weeks. Without, without a doubt. So Steve, before on our, the last time you were on, we talked about the gap between Gonzaga and then everybody else. Baylor was still the number two team at that time. And in my opinion, I think Baylor substantially closed that gap more than people really thought they would. We thought it was going to be Gonzaga. Then there was going to be everybody else. I think it's become Gonzaga then there's Baylor, then there's everybody else. I think the gap between Baylor and everyone else is larger now than what Gonzaga and Baylor are. What do you, what do you, what's your take on that? I agree completely. Um, I, I think, I think Gonzaga did have a, a gigantic gap between them and Baylor. And of course, even more than more so than the re- with the rest of the field, uh, you know, like a month ago, but now I think it's definitely been minimized with Baylor you know, I, I would have thought Baylor would have lost by now, at least one game, and they haven't. And they played really well. And now, of course, they're on the COVID pause. But as you'll see, I put on, too. yeah, second time. As I put on Twitter, it'd be interesting to see the game on Sunday between Michigan and Ohio State because they're the number three and four teams, and they're playing each other. I know we're not going to probably see Baylor Gonzaga this year, but we'll see that game in the Big Ten, and that's going to that's going to determine a lot in the Big Ten race to see who wins that Big Ten championship, whether regular season or come tournament time. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how those two teams go at each other Sunday and see if, see who wins that game and kind of who determines themselves as a top team in the big 10. So, yeah, I still, absolutely. I still think Illinois is right there as well with those two teams. Illinois would have played Michigan this past week, I believe. And mm-hmm. the game got 
postponed because of COVID. So I don't know if they'll make the game up or not, but it should be very interesting to see what happens in that Michigan, Illinois at Michigan, Ohio state game on Sunday. Yeah. How impressed were you that Michigan was able to come off of the three weeks and they, they were down big early and still was able to rally on the road at Wisconsin to come out on top in that one. Yeah, that was a very impressive victory. Um, I believe they only have that one loss to Minnesota where yeah. they just kind of Minnesota romped them. That was more of a, re- that was such a revenge game though. After Michigan blew them out. Yeah. It did look like, look like they just came out flat that day and just got punched in the mouth, like uh, boxing, you know, annotation. Yeah. They just never could come back. But I, I think Michigan's definitely the, well, we'll see on Sunday how they play against Ohio state. I think Michigan's definitely the big, the best team in the big 10. Um, and it's going to, you know, we'll see what, Let's see the determining factor on Sunday if they can win against Ohio State, and then if they do get to make up that game against Illinois sometime in the next couple of weeks before the Big Ten tournament, which I believe, quote me if I'm wrong, the Big Ten tournament I thought I read was taking place a week earlier than some of the other conference tournaments this year. Yeah, I read something about that too. I think they're going to try and do it early. I don't think they're going to make up the games. I think they're just going to go based off percentage is what I've been reading out, just because they want to try and I think because it's they do it in Indianapolis too usually their big 10 tournament. So I think because it's going to be in Indianapolis again, I think they want to be able to prepare for the NCAA tournament. Cause everything's going to be in the Indianapolis area. And that makes sense. I got moved up. So makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That that'll be a great game though. It's, it's uh, on Sunday, I believe at, at the shoe at Ohio yes. state. So it'll be interesting. Yeah. Nationally, to see. Televised, nationally televised game on CBS at one o'clock. So yeah, it should be a very good game. Without mm-hmm. yeah. a doubt. Uh, so last Last thing I want to ask you real quick about for on the college basketball ranks, what has who is the team that has really been for you the biggest disappointment? Oh, hmm. Um, <laughs> I hate to take a shot, but I'd have to say, I'd have to say Duke <laughs> with all the talent they have. And Jalen uh, Johnson just opted out. You basically just quit on. All right, did he opt out or did he quit on his team? I mean, you hate to say he quit it's on the three, team. It's three weeks to go. There's, know, only, there's three only weeks left. Yeah, there's only a couple weeks left in the season. It almost like makes me think that he's a scared of getting injured or b just basically quitting. It's one of the two. Like he's mm-hmm. kind of like in between. He's kind of like scared of maybe he's got like a slight injury now and he doesn't want to, you know, get a catastrophic injury and be out for like the next year if he gets drafted this, you know, later this year by the NBA and the season starts in the fall of 2021. So mm-hmm. you can either look at it that way or look at it. He just flat out quit. And I, it's a bad look, you know, in the middle of February, you know, on uh, President's Day when you announce February 15th that you're going to opt out the rest of the season when there's probably only five, six games left for Duke. And then you have the ACC tournament and they probably won't be in it very long the way they look right now. So, um yeah, I, I, that they're the most disappointing just because of all the talent with the freshmen. I understand they're all, you know, uh, freshmen, but still, you know, they had a few returning players as well. They should have been much better than they are. And they seem, they seem like half the team is like like Jalen Johnson, if, if he did quit, is like uninterested in playing. It's kind of just like, you know, going out there and going through the motions. That's just my two cents. But. Yeah, I was reading something by Jeff Goodman earlier this one after he opted out saying that they were having – him and his uh, reps were having a huge disagreement early on in the year with Duke at the beginning. And then it was just starting to accumulate and accumulate and they were never really on the same page. I don't know if that's true. I feel like I, I think it's a little bit of a combination of the two as well. He doesn't want to get hurt before declaring, you know, he's going to be a top he'll be a lottery pick guaranteed based off of his ability. So I think it's a little bit of both. I don't know if he's quitting. I think he just more. Yeah, actually I do think he's quitting honestly. 
But I, I, yeah, think, it's, it's, I think it's because he just realizes that Duke's season's over. And he realizes that I just don't want to get injured anymore. I don't want to put my my future in jeopardy. I think that's a huge part. Do you th- And Krzyzewski, he came out saying that we shouldn't play earlier on in the year. Do you think that really didn't help Duke throughout this season? That was always accumulating in their mind because the women ended up opting out in December anyway. Do you think that was always in the back of their minds that Duke was just going to shut down the program entirely? I think it was. Um, I, I think that had something to do with his decision, of course. I think, and I think that's that goes back to the players only being probably like half invested this season because after the women's team opted out and they're probably they started and they're not having a good season, they're losing. They're probably like every every game they go out there like uh, kind of like the attitude of like let's play, but let's just get this over with. You know, you just can't can't wait for the season to end. Um, they're not going to, even if they don't make the NCAA tournament, I, I really would be shocked if they accepted a bid to NIT, if there's an NIT this year. So it, the prime example though, you look at last year too, at this one with Zion Williams and he got hurt in the North Carolina game. And there was like what, five or six games. And you figure he could have opted out, you know, the rest of the season easily. Cause he was going to be the number one pick. It was already decided, you know, and he, he just, he chose to grind it out and rehab for a couple weeks and come back for the AC tournament and then their NCAA tournament run. Um, so, I mean, excuse me, that wasn't last year, the year before, but, but the point is, I mean, that's the same. It's the same instance where he could have opted out. Then he was definitely going to be the number one pick. He had proven, you know, he was probably still going to be the player of the year at that point. And he still, he still came back in time for the NCAA tournament and try to get them to win the national championship. So. Yeah, without a doubt. And do you think that this transition of players just opting out considerably more and more and trying to either go play overseas, play NBA ball or play in the G league now, do you think you're going to see more and more recruits start to transition to that stage? Or do you think it's going to be only usually some of the, it'll be occasionally the top recruits that'll do that. I think it'll be occasionally. Cause I think you'll see a big switch once the COVID pandemic ends. And I think a big factor in this all too, is like, it's a much different experience if you sign up to play for Duke and you're going to be playing in front of a, you know, 8,000 screaming fans and Cameron indoor night in and night out. And then on the road games in the ACC and tough atmospheres, it's just, it's just, I think that energy just drives you so much more. And the fact you're playing in an empty gym with just some coaches and referees and it's, it's very difficult, I'm sure for the players and they got to be quarantined and they got to get daily testing. And there's so many other factors, but I think you're still see a few players each season opt for the G league or to play overseas. But I think for the majority years, they're still going to go to go to college, you know, and, and play uh, for, a, for an, even if they don't want to play for a national powerhouse, like, you know, Duke or North Carolina or Kentucky um, or, you know, they want to play for a mid-major whoever they want to play for. I think they're still going to choose to go to college. Yeah, I agree. And I think a lot of that has to do with uh, just being able to have the college experience more. Agree. Just being, able, just being a, just, being and having that experience even if, though it's just going to potentially be for a year but um i think just having that experience is going to be great for great for the kids and for, great for the, the universities as a whole being able to have those guys even though it is for the one and done is pretty much has been become the new norm in college basketball so i agree i agree yeah absolutely uh so I want to throw out a quick question, just real quick. FCS football started this past weekend. I know there was only one game, but then they're going to start up more and more in the coming weeks. What What is your takeaway that how this season's going to play out? Is it going to be very similar to the FBS season with a lot of cancellations or postponements, and then you're just going to be based off, all right, the 16 or 32 teams that gets in for the FCS playoffs is just going to be based off of your record or by a committee, et cetera. Yeah, I think it'll be pretty much the same the way the FBS season because you're still you're still 
still have the pandemic to worry about and cancellations and postponements. I think it'll be probably based off winning percentage, depending on how many games each team plays. Um, and I think, I mean, some, I think you'll see some teams actually, if, if they start having a lot of breaks and COVID pauses, just shut down, you know, and then just mm-hmm. shut it down for the fall. Um, Cause then you're going to, they'll probably be able to have a full season in the fall. So I know they feel like they owe it to the players to have some kind of a season because they couldn't have one last fall, but I, I think that's how it's going to go. Yeah, I agree. And I think, it's going to be a huge hindrance to see how much more cancellations you're going to see because you're going to have so many more schools with the lack of testing and the lack of having tests. So how, how much more conservative are they going to be than trying to get, Oh, like Alabama when Saban tested positive, let's get him his three tests and they tested negative three times. He can be back on the field. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how, the access of tests, being able to see how conservative your policy is going to be, that'll be interesting to see as well. Yeah, and it's the expensive how expensive it is to have the tests on a daily basis for all these players. I mean, you see one thing with basketball, it's only 20, 25 people, including coaches, staff, you know, and all the players, where football, it's probably 100 people, if not more. You know, they yeah. got to get tested several times a week to play a game just on Saturdays. And then, of course, you got the travel thrown in and hotels and everything else. So I, I, think, I think you're going to have a, the same – the same outlook as college football in the fall, where you're going to have a lot of postponements and cancellations on a weekly basis. Yeah, absolutely. So, but Steve, before I let you go, I want to transition to a little bit of lacrosse here. I know you cover more college lacrosse, but still, uh, Chris Hogan, the former Patriots wide receiver, Super Bowl champion, uh, came out this weekend, said that he was going to uh, get into the Premier, uh, Premier League lacrosse league. Uh, the Premier Lacrosse League. Sorry, I'm, I, I, don't, I totally worded that wrong. That's okay. okay. <laughs> uh, the Premier Lacrosse League. He's gonna get, go into the draft. He was an outstanding lacrosse player back at Penn State. So, what do you think the aspirations for him is? Will he get drafted? Do you think the team will give him a shot? Uh, what What is your overall takeaway from this? From him transitioning now from the NFL to lacrosse? I think I think I think he'll definitely get drafted. He'll definitely get a shot with. Uh, the team that drafts him, um, they'll, you know, he's 32 years old, I believe. So yeah, he's, he's yeah, probably got a couple good years left in him. Uh, I know he's taken a beating through playing in the NFL for the last decade, but I mean, he's a great athlete. He's shown him he played for the Patriots in one, I think, what, two, two of the Super Bowls he was on, maybe three. So definitely a two uh, with playing wide receiver in that offense with Tom Brady um, and Gronkowski and Julian Edelman. And I, I think he's definitely, he'll definitely get drafted. He'll definitely be given a chance. I think he makes it. I don't think he's going to be the MVP of the league or anything, but I think he'll definitely have a, you know, two to five year career run uh, as a lacrosse player. And, you know, I think he'll be a solid player for whoever takes him in the draft. Yeah. I know you talked about earlier before we started that you, he played at Penn state. What would, what, what, do you, what is his potential going to be? Is it just going to be more of a starter and just or, or come a guy off the bench? What do you think his role will probably be? I think it'll be more or less like a role player. Um, he'll have a defined role that he'll fill out for the team. Um, it's kind of, yeah, his age and with how much he's been through in terms of playing in the NFL, I'm sure playing in the NFL for as long as he did feels like three lifetimes for, you know, because some players, the average NFL career only lasts like, what, two and a half years now. So, um I think at his age, he's going to have a defined role for the team that he drafts him, and you know, and he'll he'll make it probably for two to five years. Uh, being if and if he can find the right role, maybe he'll make it longer. You know, and it, it all depends. It seems like a lot of times these days you'll see basketball across, but basketball across more than anything else, it's just the right fit. The team, the team that drafts you, 
you you can make I think the NBA is the biggest, you know, factor in that. The fact that if you get drafted in the NBA on the right team, you can have a 10 to 15 year career. Sometimes guys get drafted on the wrong team. They don't have a fit and they can never find their fit and they last three to five years and they flame out. Mm. Um, I think the best example of that I can remember recently was guy uh, Danny Green played in North Carolina. I mean, he was probably the third or fourth best player on that team 10 years ago, 12 years ago, 2009, 12 years ago when they yeah. won the national championship. And look, he's still playing in the NBA. The rest of those guys are pretty much on that, all that all played on that team that won the national championship. We're all not playing in the NBA anymore. And so he's you're a back-to-back back national uh, NBA champion too. Hey, he won those championships with the Spurs, yeah, uh, and then he went to the Clip, uh, excuse me, the Raptors with Kawhi, and then he went and to the Lakers the last year with the Lakers in the bubble. Yeah, and I, I don't, I don't know who's on what team he's on now. I, I lost track. He's on Is the he Sixers still- now. Sixers. Okay, Sixers. So he's got another well, chance. He's to win. trying to go for three chips and uh, and on three different teams. <laughs> That that be that might be a record, yeah. But it's so versatile of a player. I mean, he can block shots, he can rebound, he can shoot threes, and I think he found that right fit. I and San Antonio. I mean, they he was the perfect fit for that team. They had he filled that role perfectly on that team. They had Tim Duncan, they had other manager nobly, Tony Parker, other stars then, and that was the he perfect was, fit. Yeah, just had to be that fourth or fifth score. Just hit the shot when you were open. Yep, that's all. I mean, and that's kind of. It's, I'm sorry to backtrack, but that goes back to like Chris Hogan. If he can get on a team that drafts him or even if it doesn't work out, if he gets traded to or released and goes signs with somebody else, he needs to find that team he can find that perfect fit with. And if he does, he can last in the league a long time. So, Yeah, it will definitely be something intriguing to look out for to see if he can make it in the, in the Premier Lacrosse I wish League. Best, I wish him the best of luck. Yeah, I mean, that's – Yeah, absolutely. Be a great story. So, be a great story. A, a couple of years ago with college basketball, just to leave you one, it was uh, – gen- uh, he played for Loyola – uh, men's lacrosse and then he went to northwestern pat spencer and he played his senior year it was his grand transfer year and he played basketball because he played basketball in high school and he started for northwestern most of that season and northwestern isn't the biggest uh powerhouse in college basketball but it's a big 10 big 10 school so it was impressive that he went and transferred there and play and played there you know for a whole season yeah you don't see it a lot but sometimes you'll get the occasional player that'll transfer uses el- eligibility year to, on something else it's very unique but it's still kind of considerably interesting just always to root for them just to give them hey go for it what do you what do you have to lose right so and jimmy graham jimmy graham there's another one he was a basketball, basketball player. My- yep antonio gates another one basketball the football you see that a lot especially for tight ends the basketball power forward or center just goes up and gets rebounds and blocks and yep. they get transitions to the tight end position for the nfl tony gonzalez played at california he was a yep, he same was a- thing about him yeah there's been a bunch yeah yeah been a bunch. well steve i want to thank you for coming on final whistle again it's always a pleasure to have you on and chat it up glad we were able to get the technical difficulty out of the way so we can have this conversation it was a blast thanks for always coming on appreciate it you're welcome thanks for having me on again i really appreciate it absolutely well that's another edition of final whistle everyone be ready for some interviews that will be taking place this week as well as our traditional podcast episode on friday Enjoy your week, everyone. Have fun watching some college basketball.